Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles, open to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, we're continuing our sermon series this morning through the book of Exodus. And and there's a lot we're going to cover this morning. We're going to kind of jump right in, but I want to review just for a minute, if I could, what we studied last week, because there's a bigger picture play. One of the things I love about working through books of the Bible is we get to see kind of the big picture. We're not just pulling individual stories randomly out. We're looking at this book from the beginning to the end. If you remember, we said last week that the book of Exodus really begins in Genesis. And so there's this idea early in the book of Genesis of this covenant between God and his people. So one of the main themes that we're going to see throughout the book of Exodus is the covenant between God and his people. We talked about that covenant last week being established and then remembered and then renewed. But in the midst of that, right, we understand that God has this covenant with his people. In the midst of that, one of the other themes that we see and understand is this grand picture, the glory, the majesty, uh, the power of the Lord. Because this is going to be demonstrated really from the beginning of the book of Exodus throughout. And so what you've got is this God that is in covenant relationship with his people, this glorious and majestic and all-powerful, and kind of wrapped into that idea, we said, is that God is faithful even when we're not. And so what we see from last week, and this will continue into this week, is that the people of the Lord that are on this earth, that are in covenant with him, are struggling. Right In the very first chapter of the book of Exodus, we understand that his people are in slavery, they're in Egypt, they're living a very difficult life, and we said God's going to work through this situation, he's going to use these people for his glory, but it's not always easy. And so one of the applications from last week, one of the things we learned is that even if we're trusting the Lord, even if we're walking with the Lord, even if we're a follower of Christ, that doesn't necessarily mean everything's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be simple. Doesn't mean everything's going to turn out always the way we want it to, but we trust the Lord. Anyway, Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Right? We see the Lord is always at work. We see his majesty. We see his glory. We see this covenant relationship. And we understand that the Lord is always on his throne. And even when things aren't easy for us, even when they don't always make sense for us, we still trust. We still believe And we still understand, as we'll see in this study this morning, that God has a plan from the beginning until the end. So let's jump right in this morning, Exodus chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could no longer hide him, she took for him she took 
for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And when his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young woman walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant a woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. So she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? This is a brilliant play, by the way. Verse 8, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Right? This is Moses. This is his sister that's watching. His sister now goes and calls Moses' mom to come and take care of him. Verse 9, And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, this is his mother, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, there's a lot at play here. There's a lot of history here. This is what we would call kind of in biblical terms a historical narrative. It's giving us the picture, it's giving us the background, giving us the history of Moses. So here's the first truth I want you to see very, very simply this morning to kind of put things in perspective in, in the kind of the, the grand picture of God's plan. Number one, Moses is born. Okay, Moses at this point is going to be born. God is now going to set in motion his plan through this man to rescue his people from slavery. Now remember what's happening here. Remember the context, because this is important. Right? The Hebrew people, and, and by the way, let me just kind of make this distinction. I want to be clear. I, I said this in the first service. I'll use the word Hebrew, uh, Israelite, Jewish people. I'll use those interchangeable. We're, talk, we're talking about the same group of people. So I don't want to be their confusion here, right? But we understand that the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, are living in slavery. They're in a very difficult situation, but they've grown tremendously in numbers. And so Pharaoh's afraid of them. He's worried they may rise up. And so he has commanded now that all the young baby boys that have been born to be killed. Remember, we studied that last week. If you weren't here last week, he basically decreed that every male born should be thrown in the river, right? Now, it's kind of under this death sentence that Moses is born, right? So he's a boy. He's a baby. He's just been born. He should have been thrown in the river, but his mother recognizes what's going on. She understands what's going to happen to him, so she hides him. Bible says she hides him for about three months. When she could hide him no longer, maybe because he was crying a little bit more, the Bible doesn't really say, she builds for him this little basket, covers it in, in pitch like tar uh, so it will be waterproof, sets it in the river, and hopes that the Lord will save him. Now, I want you to understand something, right? This is important. I want you to see this. As we walk through the book of Exodus, we're going to continue to explore this grand picture of God's Word, right? There is a meta-narrative. In other words, there is a plan from the beginning of Genesis all the way through to the end of Revelation. One of the things I love about Exodus is a lot of the, the big stories that we hear have connections to other parts of the Bible, 
Right? They're not just standalone stories, but they're written in the book of Exodus to help us understand what the people of Israel went through, but also for us to make connections into the other parts of Scripture. Now, I've said this before, and some of you have heard me say it, and this is kind of a broad generalization, but if we wanted to generalize the Old Testament, again, very broadly, we could say all of the Old Testament looks ahead to Jesus. So as you're studying through the Old Testament, you need to understand God is kind of one step at a time painting this picture of Jesus. So in the early part of Genesis, we know very little about who Jesus will be. We know that Messiah will one day come. We don't know who he's going to be, what he's going to do. And as you walk through the Old Testament, that picture of Jesus becomes clearer and clearer until eventually we get to his birth. And so as we're walking through this story of Exodus and the story of Moses and the story of what he went through, I want to make a connection for you that's going to look ahead to Jesus, right? This isn't just about a little baby in a basket in a river. This is ultimately about God's grace and his mercy and his power and his glory looking ahead to when Jesus will one day come and save his people from their sins. But I want you to see it scripturally. Now, let's take a step back. You don't have to look, but let's be reminded of the book of Genesis. So we're thinking about Moses born, placed in the river. If you back up to the story of Noah, and you were to read the story of Noah, you would be reminded that the Lord looks down on the earth, he sees the sin of the people, and he decrees that all the world should be destroyed by flood. Remember, Noah and his family build the ark. They get into the ark. They pass through the waters to eventually be saved. Now, think about this. This is the book of Genesis. Uh, Many, 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 many centuries later, Peter, the apostle Peter, is going to write about this. I want you to listen to the phrase that Peter uses when he describes Noah in the book of Genesis. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20, 21. Then God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus, right? Noah and the flood, watch now, are precursors of this idea of baptism. Right? They're going to be saved by passing through the waters of judgment. God is going to allow them to pass through and be saved. Moses, right? Exodus chapter 2 here. The Bible says that when she could hide him no longer, in verse 3, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it in bitmen and pitch. And when the child put the child in it and placed him among the reeds by the riverbank. Now this word basket in the original Hebrew, right, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. This word basket literally means ark. And the only other time it's used is in the book of Genesis. So we've got this connection now with Noah and the ark, Moses and this basket, which, which means ark. Moses is placed into this water. He passes through the water to safety. One writer said it like this, Noah and Moses passed through the deadly waters by riding in an ark, the vessel of salvation. They were baptized, as it were, in the same water in which others perished, right? The flood kills the population of the earth. The Nile River kills all the young males in Egypt. Moses passes through this 
to safety. You may remember the story of the Red Sea. We'll get there eventually. But the story of the Red Sea is phenomenal. And by the way, let me just go ahead and uh, let you know how I feel. Do I believe that God fully parted the Red Sea, the actual sea, and they walked across some dry land? A hundred percent. I don't believe it was the Reed Sea. I don't, and we'll talk about some of the ways that people try to get around this. But when the Lord commands these people to go, they have to cross through the Red Sea. And here's what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 16. Lift, talking to Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Now look, fast forward all the way now to the apostle Paul 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Listen to what he says. For I do not want you to be unaware. In other words, some of y'all are not going to know this. But I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, he's looking back to the story of Exodus, our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Right? You see this picture passing through the judgment, passing through water, to reach salvation. Now we've seen it with Noah, we've seen it with Moses, we've seen it with the Red Sea. Fast forward now after the children of Israel have wandered for 40 years, and again, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but Moses is not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. We'll kind of talk about that later. Joshua is going to lead the people. And the Bible tells the story in Joshua chapter 3, verse 14, when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, right? In order to get into the promised land, they've got to cross over the Jordan River. They pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests, their feet now, bearing the Ark were dipped into the brisk of the water, the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap a great distance away. So the children of Israel walk through this water. The Lord allows them to pass through this water of judgment to the promised land. Right Now fast forward all the way to Jesus. Right, Jesus comes up out of order. He passes through the waters of baptism into a great temptation. He fasts. He trusts the Lord. He begins his ministry, right? And so we see these pictures. We see Noah, we see Moses, we see the Red Sea, we see Joshua, we see Jesus. All of these are part of the meta-narrative, the big picture, right? It reminds us that God from the beginning had a plan, and watch, it's all building to Jesus. It's all kind of painting this picture for us. It's all re reminding us and helping us visualize who Christ is going to be. Now, we've got the benefit of being on this side of history. And so we can look back, understanding we know exactly what's going to happen. But the people of the Old Testament did not. So God's building this picture. He's painting this picture. He's looking ahead to what Jesus is going to do. This idea of baptism, of going through these waters, of ending up being saved, salvation through Christ. Right Now let's continue back in Exodus. We're going to paint another picture here. Exodus chapter 2. One day, verse 11, when Moses had grown up. Now there's about 40-year gap right here, just so you'll know. That one day means about 40 years. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people. Now, he knew, we don't really know why, the Bible doesn't explain, but he grew up in Pharaoh's home, but he understood that he was a Hebrew. So the Bible says he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. 
And so he looked this way and that, right? It's kind of, he's sneaking around. Is there, is there anybody out here? Right, no, nobody's here. Right? He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, right? He knew nobody was around. He struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand, right? He kills this guy, buries him in the sand, verse 13. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill us as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Right. So Moses kills this guy tries to hide it, realizes the next day, word is out. So Moses flees. He goes to Midian, which is kind of northwest Saudi Arabia currently, just so you'll know. Verse 16, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. And water to the flock, right? Kind of built into his heart is this desire to help, this desire to be involved in this process of saving. Verse 18, when they came home to their father, Rule, he said, how is it that you come home so soon today? And they said, verse 19, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with this man. And he gave Moses' his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and they called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Right? So we've seen the birth of Moses. We see Moses grow up. He sees this Egyptian and Hebrew fighting, kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Here's the second truth I want you to see. Number two, Moses flees Egypt. Right? He's born he kills a man, he flees Egypt, goes into the wilderness. Now we understand, as we kind of make more connections here, as we're looking ahead to Jesus, we understand that Moses is going to be used by God. But, but a lot of people might not quite understand the, the, the close connection with Moses here and Jesus. Now I'm going I'm to give you a phrase and then I'm going to define a word for you, and then we're going to walk through it together. I want you to understand it very clearly. Here's the phrase. Moses is a type, T-Y-P-E. Moses is a type of Christ, okay? Now, let me define the word type for you. A type in Scripture is a person or thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. When we say someone is a type of Christ, we are saying that a person in the Old Testament behaves in a way that corresponds to Jesus' character or actions in the New Testament. So we say that Moses is a type of Christ. He's similar to Jesus. Now, they didn't have the, uh, they didn't have the understanding at this point in the book of Exodus because they didn't know exactly who Jesus was yet. But as we look back in history, we begin to see, listen, Moses shared a lot of the characteristics with Jesus and we're painting a picture of who Jesus is going to be. Now, I've got a list on the screen I want you to see of exactly how Moses is a type of Christ. We'll think through these very briefly together. You can go back and watch the video later to write all this down if you want to. But here are the ways in which Moses is a type of Christ. Both Moses and Jesus 
were born during perilous times, both narrowly escaped the king bent on murdering babies. We've already talked about Pharaoh. He decreed that every child, every male child born should be thrown into the Nile River. You may not remember this about the birth of Jesus, but Herod basically did the same thing. Any child under the, any male child under the age of two needs to be killed. He was hoping in the process Herod was to kill off Jesus. So Moses and Jesus are both born under this decree by the king that all the male babies should be killed. Go to the next one. Both Moses and Jesus had a connection to Egypt. Next one. Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt with Jesus to keep Herod from killing him. Remember, after they realized that Herod has decreed that all the children, the male children, should be killed, Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt. Go to the next slide. Moses was born in Egypt and fled to keep from being killed by Pharaoh. Right? So see the connection of Egypt, fleeing to Egypt, fleeing away from Egypt. Go to the next slide. Moses was the adopted son of a king, right? He grew up in Pharaoh's household. Jesus is the son of the Most High King, right? Go to the next one. Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. By the way, I'm not going to tell the whole thing here because I'm going to preach about this in several weeks. But think about this. Moses uh, is going to go into the wilderness. He's going to spend time as a shepherd. He's eventually going to pass through the Red Sea, spend 40 more years in the wilderness, wandering, leading the people of, of Israel. Jesus, after he's baptized, passes through the waters, goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Watch now. Jesus accomplishes in 40 days what Moses couldn't accomplish in 40 years. He trusts the Lord, he refutes the devil, and he moves on into his place of ministry, right? So we see these connections, these connections between Moses and Jesus, right? Moses is a type of Christ. Go to the next slide. Moses and Jesus were alike, and then they both led God's people out of captivity. Go ahead and go to the next two right there. Moses led them out of physical bondage, obviously out of slavery into the wilderness. Jesus led them out of spiritual bondage. So we see the connection here, again, both leading their people out of slavery. Go to the next one. Moses identified himself with the suffering of the people, his people. He wanted to give of himself to bring them to salvation. And the next one. Jesus did the same thing for us. Go ahead. He entered into our pain and suffering in order to save us. Right? Mo Moses had this desire to save his people, and that desire is going to grow. We'll see that next week, new burning bush next week, which is phenomenal. Very excited about that. Uh, the Lord's going to convince him to go, and his desire to save his people is going to grow. It's going to increase. Right? We see a little bit of it when he goes out and he sees the Egyptian fighting the Hebrew. There, there's a desire to save this person, a desire to help. We see built kind of into uh, the heart of Moses this desire to save people, lead them to safety. The same thing Jesus did. So we see all these examples of Moses as a type of Christ. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? We're going to make a connection here, and this is where it matters to you here in just a minute. Right? Moses had everything. Right, Moses very easily could have lived out his life in the house of Pharaoh, never having a need, been given everything he could ever possibly want, but instead he chooses to kill this man. Now, that's sinful. We get that. But his heart was right. He wanted to save. He wanted to help. He wanted the Lord to use him. Here's what I want you to see. I think this is important. I, want, I don't want to miss an important truth, right? We think about Moses as this incredible leader, this man of God, this man who led the Israelites out of slavery, all those things are true. 
But let's not forget a very, very important truth here. Moses killed a man. He murdered somebody. Then he tried to hide it. Then when he realized that everybody knew, he fled into the desert and was gone for 40 years. And here's the truth I want you to get. Here's the application I want you to understand for your life. Very simply, God can still use the broken and the sinful. You understand that? And I think some people need to hear that maybe a second time. God can still use the broken and the sinful. Listen to me. Listen to me. Your past sins and mistakes do not define you. You understand that? There's a long list of people in the Scripture that did terrible things that God still used. In fact, if you, if you were to go and study through the genealogies of Jesus in the New Testament and actually begin to read about the different people that were in his family, there's some pretty bad folks in there. People did some pretty bad things. Murder, adultery, you name it, they did it. Rape, you name it, they did it. Bad things happen. It's this beautiful picture, this reminder that our past sins and our past failures and the mistakes we've made don't define us. Watch, not because of things that we've done, but because of everything Jesus has done for us. And I think we need to be reminded of the goodness of the Lord and of his mercy and of his forgiveness. Right? Because no matter where you've been or what you've done, through faith in Christ, through his forgiveness, you absolutely still can be used of the Lord. Don't let the enemy lie to you and tell you otherwise. Now let's finish up. Look at verse 23, Exodus chapter 2. We're going to flip a switch here. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Here's the third truth I want you to see this morning. Very simply, God answers the cries of his people. He always has, and he always will. Now, we remember here what these people are going through. Right? Moses is born. He's going to flee into the desert. God starts this process of reconciliation. God starts his process of saving his people. But watch, it's going to take from the birth of Moses until he comes back after the burning bush. There are 80 years in there. 40 years before he flees, 40 years in Midian, 80 years before God actually brings him back. All the while, though, now watch, God is at work. All the while, God has a plan. All the while, God is demonstrating his glory to these people. And that's interesting. I said we're going to flip a switch here because we've been talking about Moses, Moses, Moses. And all of a sudden, in verse 23, 24, and 25, God but he hears their cries and he hears their prayers. I want you to see verses 24 and 25 because there's some very specific words I want you to notice. Pull those up if you would for me, please. Verse 24 says, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. There's that word covenant that connects us back to the beginning of Genesis with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Here are the four words. God heard, God remembered, God saw, God knew. 
all very personal words. Right? We, we have this misconception sometimes that we serve a God that sits on a throne and ignores us and doesn't care anything about us. We see scripturally here that God heard these people, he remembered, he saw, and he knew. And by the way, that word knew is more than just a casual knowledge. It's a very intimate understanding of exactly who these people are and exactly what they're going through. Now, I know just from conversations I have with people on a regular basis, there are all sorts of struggles in our church. There's struggles with, with marriages, there, there's struggles with health issues, there's struggles at work, uh, you name it, we got it. And sometimes we need to be reminded that even in the midst of great struggle, even in the midst of great pain, as we cry out to God, as we groan to the Lord, he hears us, he remembers, he sees us, he knows us. In fact, the Bible is, is filled with these examples not of just prayer, but of this deep longing for the Lord. Here are just a couple of examples. Psalm chapter 5, verse 1. I give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O, o Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 18, their heart cried to the Lord, a wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. You know, I, I just think in, in a church this size, with people listening at home, with people in our overflow area, with people out here live, I know there's an awful lot of needs. And I just want to remind you, no matter what you're going through, no matter what struggle you're having, difficulty, Whatever the Lord is having you walk through right now, the Lord hears you, the Lord sees you, the Lord remembers your cries. And so we're going to give you this opportunity here in just a minute, right? The, the altar is going to be open. We're going to give you a chance to pray. We're going to give you a chance to groan or to cry out. I, I'll be available to pray with you, but I don't want this opportunity to pass. I don't want you to miss this chance after reading this and seeing the Lord at work, seeing the picture of baptism all through Old Testament, looking ahead to Jesus, seeing Moses as a type of Christ, looking ahead to what Jesus is going to accomplish. All that we've seen kind of tying this together as the Lord hears the cries of his people. Don't miss this chance. Don't miss this chance to cry out to the Lord, to groan, to pray, to seek him in salvation. However the Lord leads you, this is going to be your time. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the clear truth you've shown us in the book of Exodus, this picture, Lord, of Christ, this picture of baptism, all looking ahead, all being reminded of the covenant, of your faithfulness, Lord, being reminded of your goodness and your glory and your power and your majesty. Help us, Father, to sense that, to understand that right now. And, Lord, as we open up this altar for a time of prayer, I pray, Father, that people, whether it's in their seats or here, would cry out to you, would seek you, would trust you, Father. If there's one here this morning that's never prayed to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, Father, open up their eyes to this truth. Father, help us just to trust you and love you and seek you with all of our hearts. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.